Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Tony Estrella. He's a managing director at Taliosa investment and advisory for health tech and insure tech startups. He's also a fiction novelist. Tony's a global thought leader and fiction writer in digital health with experiences working in Asia, the US and Europe as a startup founder, investor, corporate innovation leader and strategic advisor. Tony currently sits on the board as an independent director for CXA Group and Savonix. As both an investor and advisor, Tony partners with Asia-focused companies who are working to develop solutions to change the face of cancer, human longevity, and population health with core IP stemming from AI, genomics, blockchain, and smart devices. His previous work within both life insurance at MetLife and Pharma with Pfizer, it was focused to drive measurable business impact, allowing him to help entrepreneurs enhance their product market fit and commercial growth plans across Asian markets. His debut fiction novel, Comatose, which we'll touch on here in today's discussion, is a fiction novel about lucid dreaming, and it's all about health tech fiction, something that we'll cover with Tony as well. It's available in bookstores today in the UK and on Amazon globally. Tony is has done tremendous amount of work and he spent some time at University of Pennsylvania's Wharton getting his MBA there, the London Business School and the University of Pennsylvania School of Engineering and Applied Science in Electrical Engineering. So a tremendous individual and it's a privilege to host him here today. Tony, Thanks for joining. Thanks, so it's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me to to share some of my thoughts and insights with your with your audience. Absolutely, my friend. So, tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you decide on healthcare? So, I uh, academically studied electrical engineering, and that's actually where I caught the bug for being more entrepreneurial minded and how I focused my professional life. I used to build and race solar electric race cars. Um, really? That's fun, cool. Yeah. A fun <laughs> little hobby that I helped build up. And, and I started my career in consulting and during that period, it was great. You know, lots of um, ways to learn and, and be mentally intellectually challenged. But in 2000, I had just finished doing work in Silicon Valley. And that was the you know, first internet wave and lots of excitement about transformation. And as I started business school, I really thought about where did I want to dedicate my time and energy in terms of industry focus. And for several different reasons, but some, including personal ones, healthcare just jumped out. Now, I, I love the fact that you can build technology and it helps people live longer, have better quality of life. I had a couple of personal uh, friends who dealt with uh, health issues. I had an aunt who passed away from uh, kidney failure. And so all that just came together for me to say, I can wake up every morning feeling excited that what I do is helping at least one individual live a better life. Love that, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a compelling reason to choose the field. And with your knowledge and background, you've been able to make a, a, a big impact. And so I, I'd love to hear from you, Tony, what you think is should be the the big thing on health leaders agenda and how are you approaching it? Back when I started my first business in 2001, there was a lot of emphasis in terms of where is the healthcare industry in the U.S. I was living in the U.S. at the time. And, you know, if you fast forward 
through time, there's still an enormous amount of uh, focus in the U.S. and the healthcare sector. And as digital health or health tech has grown, the U.S. market clearly is an important one. But I'd, I'd say that equally as important on every health leader's mind should be what can they learn from what's happening in Asia? And is Asia, whether Asia is an opportunity or not, is there, are there things that Asia offers in accelerating growth and scale and product that can be leveraged for, for their business? And a couple of facts about Asia that I think are important. You know, it's four plus billion people, 44 countries, over 2,000 languages spoken. And, you know, enormously large region. And from an investment perspective, this, in 2018, we saw Asia approaching the same amount of investment into health tech startups as in the U.S. now. So within the next really? 12 to 18 months, you'll see that Asia actually will have more capital being deployed from the venture community into startups. So when I say that every health leader, every medical leader should look at Asia, it's because the region is just is, is as large today with, with a much greater growth potential given the number of people and countries. So, you know, there was a book I read recently by Kai-Fu Lee, who was a, he's a venture investor in China, who was formerly headed up Google China and uh, used to work for Apple and driving their early AI. And he does an amazing job of painting the picture for China as one country and one, one important uh, region around where they're going with AI and how it's different than the U.S. Hmm. And I think that's the key thing as a takeaway for health, for health leaders is it's, it's just a different uh, technical environment, data standards, and in the way that uh, Tencent and Alibaba and Baidu uh, have changed China much the same way that Google, Facebook, Apple have changed the West, there's lots of learning that can happen. Man, that's fascinating stuff, Tony. And folks, I forgot to mention to you that Tony lives and works in Singapore. So he's, he's been there for the last five years, this time around, but definitely a, a global health leader focused on Asia that knows the ins and outs. So a uh, critical, critical piece of, uh, of information there for everybody to know. Tony, without a doubt, there's, there's opportunity over there. The money's flowing over there. Give us an example of, of what you've seen as working and, and creating results. Yeah, the landscape for Asia is complex. Um, as I said, there's lots of countries. And so before I, I answer that question, let me give a little bit of context as to how to think about the region. And so sure. One is, you know, I mentioned China and, and you can group Hong Kong and China together from thinking about one of six hubs in the region. The other hubs are the Indian subcontinent, which obviously is driven largely by India, but there's other countries there. Third would be Japan. Fourth would be the Korean Peninsula, which includes South Korea. Fifth would be Southeast Asia, which includes Singapore. And then sixth would be Australia and New Zealand. And I didn't do these in any order of size. I just kind of went north to south. And Ge geographic. Uh, yeah, and you know each hub has uh, similarities that that make it a logical grouping, whether it's economic stage of development or cultural and lifestyle history or climate. There's still a lot of diversity within each one. So Southeast Asia and Singapore, you know, each country there is still drastically different, but there's enough linkages to make it common. And start there, and then when you ask, you know, go to the question of what what has um, created results and improved outcomes. I think that. Number one is uh, looking at in the impact of population health models and gathering data in Asia and what companies are starting to do with that. It's a complex ecosystem here where you're, it's not like the U.S. where 
data exists in a way that's usable by healthcare organizations immediately from day one, or it's been able to be massaged and, and used within six to 12 months time. I'd say the early wins that are happening right now from a healthcare perspective is knowledge of what data is important, how to bring it together, and then how to start using that data in a way that makes healthcare organizations start collaborating. That's something that digital health, I think, has done a tremendous job of doing in the U.S. is whether it's through accelerators or whether it's through innovation programs, companies collaborate of all sizes. And I think that's the stage of where Asia is today, is that collaboration is just starting to take place. That's really great. And, and so for, for the folks listening, whether it be a hospital executive or an entrepreneur, what would be your, your advice as to how they could learn from models in Asia that they can apply in the U.S.? And, and maybe it's a resource you've worked on, Tony, or a pathway that they could follow to download on, on that. Yeah. So uh, let me start with a tangible example, which is sure. uh, one of the companies I'm on the board for is a company called Savonics. And uh, Savonics, in a nutshell, is tackling the cognition challenge globally. And, and in Asia, especially, that's dementia is the leading factor and, and focus for the business. And you know, this is a U.S. headquartered startup. You know, the CEO is a clinically oriented person, although she's had lots of uh, commercial experience as well. And Tony, and, I'll, I'll interject here for a second and say, yeah. uh, if you guys haven't listened to Malaya's, uh, uh, she's the CEO of Savonics, her episode, go to outcomesrocket.health, type in Savonics with an X, and you'll, you'll hear that interview, an extraordinary leader in healthcare. Definitely listen to that one. But Tony, sorry to interrupt, just wanted to, to plug that, that episode. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem, no problem. And, and so, you know, when, when I first met her, I was at the time working for MetLife and they had asked me to help them build a group called Lumen Lab to help them figure out for an insurance business in Asia, what's a, a co- cohesive healthcare strategy for the region and where does digital health and health tech, where do health tech startups fit in? And we decided on Japan and dementia as a key area of focus. There's a clear customer problem there. The country had a focus for providing solutions to the individuals suffering from dementia, but also their families. And you know, MetLife wanted to figure out what can insurance business do. And so I was at actually JP Morgan went then, as most people go in January, and I yeah. met Malia there. And we had a conversation about what she was doing and her background, and it seemed to be a, a good fit. And we, we then went through the approach of take an innovation group and have them try to figure out the right pilot or the structure to plug them in. And you know, as you would see in a lot of different multinationals, you want to figure out how to get to break into a large MNC. And I think so lesson one for any company thinking about Asia is that there's a lot of organizations who are out there trying to create bridges into MNCs, which is fantastic because yeah. back in 2014, 2015, it was just getting started. And now, you know, we have life insurance companies, you have pharma companies, uh, you have government programs, and there's lots of options of where to go. And that helps you get in the door, helps you get through a pilot. And then I think the second lesson that I would say is that while I've broken this down into six hubs, start with those hubs and, and thinking about customer challenges, but quickly zero in on a specific country because you want to solve a problem in a meaningful enough way that then you have data points in Asia. And once you have that, then you can figure out how to start scaling the relationship with one or more organizations. And that's what happened with Savonics. We, you know, we started first with a pilot in China 
And then we looked at the results for that. And then that led to other pilots and eventually led to a scaled relationship. And that type of structure really can help businesses in the US or in the, in the West figure out how to get a foothold in Asia. And you know, it's not always a life insurance company. You can have companies like Meadowpad in the UK partnering with Tencent in China, and mm-hmm. that helps them get in the door and, and takes local resources who know the Chinese market and marry that to the technical expertise that a company brings in, whether it's a Savonics and Cognition or a Meadowpad with what they're doing for uh, hospital outpatient support. So that would be another one. And then the last point I would say is it is important to have a local investment partner as well. And so, you know, the more that you can grow and scale and then bring in investors who understand the region, it will help your U.S.-based investors understand how they need to adapt and, and fund and scale the business as it grows. Some great takeaways there, Tony. And folks, the beauty of podcasting, hit the rewind button. (laughs) <laughs> and listen to it again or pause it and, and get somewhere where you could take some notes because Tony definitely laid down a great framework for you to scale and expand into Asia. Give us an example of uh, something that hasn't worked out, Tony, and uh, what, what did you learn from it? So I, I mentioned I've been a startup person and I, I <laughs> one of the companies that I was running, we, we uh, hired the wrong person for the role. And mm. even today, you know, I, as I sit on the board of, of not just uh, Savonics, but another company called CXA, one of the most common conversations we have is work structure, team building, hiring the right people. And, you know, there's many lessons that can be learned from not having that happen and being caught in a trap where you can't necessarily get rid of a person who isn't working optimally because you're dependent on them at this point in time, yeah. but you know you need something different and better for the business at that stage. And uh, you know, so I suffered through that as most founders do when they're running their business. And in bringing this back to Asia, I think it gets even a little more complicated when you want to have people who understand local culture and language um, and help them build your business. And what I'd say to to, as a lesson for companies looking to, to grow in Asia is you want to start with trusted people and organizations to help you identify the right hires. And looking at people solely based off of what's on paper is not necessarily enough. You want to make sure you get some background and you know, get to know others who might have worked with individuals because you, know, you can burn through cash in lots of scenarios and, and hiring the wrong person is definitely one of those scenarios. That's a great, great example, Tony, and one that that we all, you know, struggle with and 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 work to find a good balance to to get the right people in the door to get the job done. So, as far as uh, you know, I want to I want to hone in a little bit more on your book. And so, you published the book. So, I want to hear what you want to share uh, with the listeners, what the focus of the book is and why you did it, why you wrote it. Yeah, thanks. I, I always enjoy talking about the subject. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've actually been told that there are not a lot of people like me out there who have uh, built a commercial-oriented career and then had a, a fiction novel that uh, came to life as well. And, uh, and You're a rare yeah. breed, Tony. You're a rare breed. <laughs> well, I think that is a compliment, both good and bad. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I, so for me, the, the thing that turned this uh, fiction writing journey from um, an idea and a potential hobby into something tangible and real was I ended up drafting the first manuscript in a year 
And I, I submitted it for a William Faulkner writing competition in the U.S. And it got selected as a semifinalist. Nice. Which is awesome. You know, it's a, it's a first time awesome. novelist to get recognized by this group of, of people who focus on books and weed out good from bad. I was excited. And, and I went through a it's journey. validation, then, right? Yes, definitely yeah. good validation. And so I ended up with uh, several publishing offers and I ended up taking an offer to launch this book in the UK. And so that's why right now the bookstore uh, focuses in the UK and Waterstones and Foils. Eventually I'll get to other markets like Singapore and the US. But like any entrepreneur, you want to first get data, figure out what works in marketing and then figure out what to grow and scale. And that's what I'm doing uh, as a starting point. For a bit of context, the book is called Comatose, and it's a book about lucid dreaming. And lucid dreaming is where you not only know that you're dreaming, but you control yourself in your dreams. So the story is a, uh, is a thriller that becomes a, a globe-trotting adventure that ultimately explains why we dream. So the way it links to health tech is the four main characters all go through some traumatic health event in this book, Comas being one, hence the title. And in order to paint the picture of what their experience is like, I had to describe the hospital of the future, which included how AI and holograms, robotics, and smart devices were commonly used in a hospital environment, patient engagement, management, et cetera. So it's taking the views of where I I spend my my life in the health tech space and and applying it in a fiction space. And the interesting parallel here is storytelling is a powerful mechanism. Right. Every entrepreneur mm-hmm. and every investor knows, every MNC uh, executive knows that you don't get results if you can't tell a compelling story. And uh, fiction is a way of telling compelling stories. And, and a parallel here is, is climate change. And we're all uh, hopefully concerned about where the planet is going and, and some of the challenges we faced. And there's actually an entire category of fiction for climate change, which is called cli-fi. And it paints the picture. Yeah, and it paints the picture of where things can go, both good and bad. And, you know, what I'd love to see is that my book is the first, uh, first health tech fiction book that, you know, there's, there's others that, that quickly join in and we create a way to paint the vision of the future that helps investors and entrepreneurs and even end, uh, you, know, our, you know, the end person who we're all trying to help to know where's the future going um, and, you know, give us hope and, and a positive view of, uh, of uh, reality. Love that. No, and, and health tech fiction is interesting, right? Because you, you, you get the opportunity to think about the things that are, are around and available. And then, and then what could be? I did a workshop with um, IDEO and we, we went through some creative exercises and, and they encouraged us to even think of the ridiculous things. And what ended up happening is one of our most ridiculous ideas, we applied it and actually worked <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a scenario. So I love, I love this exercise and this call to action, Tony, that you've given us to apply yourself to health tech fiction. All right. Good. I hope, I hope more people do it. And look, it doesn't have to be books, right? It's articles, you know, just even you know, painting a short presentation that uh, paints a picture for where we can go. It's all storytelling. So we just got to continue to help shape people's visions of the future. Love that. So folks, we'll include links on how to get Tony's book with this podcast. It'll be in the show notes. Just go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar. Type in Tony Estrella. It's E-S-T-R-E-L-L-A. You'll be able to find all that there. Tony, it's time for the lightning round. You ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. <laughs> all right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Focus on problems and iterate on solutions. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Engagement. It's people thinking that it's easy when it's really not. How do you stay relevant? 
despite constant change. Have a great team, people that push your thinking and don't necessarily always agree with you, but create healthy debate. Love that. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your work? A person by name. And what I mean is it's easy to abstract all your work into a PowerPoint, into a Word document. But once you know that you're solving this picture for Harry Thomas or for uh, Lee Bao, you know, give the person you're solving a problem for a name and you'll think about them much more often. Ah, that's powerful, man. I love that one. And, uh, and so these next two are more on a personal note for the listeners to get to know you, Tony. What is your number one health habit? Sleep. And no surprise there. And actually, a little, little uh, sidebar here on that, which is I actually dreamt comatose. I dreamt the book. You did? Uh, yeah. I, uh, huh. I, I focus a lot on sleep hygiene. And it was something that I, did, I didn't know was sleep hygiene until I learned more about what it meant. But I've always had this process of winding down my brain before I go to sleep. And lucid dreaming is something that happens to most people over the course of their life, but most adults don't lucid dream or not even lucid dream, but even dream sometimes. And actually I've had these rich and vivid dreams and a lot of it comes from good sleep hygiene, which you can break down into getting restful sleep so your body and your brain recharge. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it is having great dreams, which can help create inspiration for yourself. And so for me, that that's an important one. And you can link sleep as one of the core lifestyle factors that you need to manage better along with nutrition and exercise as a way to stay to create overall health for yourself. Man, that is so interesting. And and when when you think about dreaming, you know, like have a dream. A lot of people just, including myself, reserve that to, okay, you know, I'm gonna dream, meaning think about what I really want. But how about going to sleep, sleeping really well and actually dreaming, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and remembering it and, 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 and bringing it into your real life. I love that, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have some That's friends deep. of mine who joke that uh, it's like, wow, you're actually like working even when you're sleeping. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. But it's not, it's all for fun. I, I, I'm really rested when I wake up. That's too funny, man. Yeah. I love that. And, and what would you say your number one success habit is? Making sure that I maintain a creative outlet so that my world isn't always about problem solving. It's a surprising correlation that when you give your brain a break to not be always focused on the task at hand, it'll actually find a way to solve it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for some people, what I'm, and maybe creative is not necessarily the completely descriptive word because I run marathons, for example, and, and I, I, when I'm running, I also get the same feeling, which is that, you know, just focusing on like the, on a long run, let my brain just work through whatever it was going to. And then creative mm-hmm. writing helps me do that as well. So I would say for anyone is just making sure that you give yourself a little bit of a change in focus so that you create uh, stronger connections between both sides of your brain, but also just let things work themselves through your system. Some great tips there, Tony. I love that and appreciate you sharing. So apart from your book, of course, which is Comatose, what book would you recommend to the listeners? I actually mentioned it a little bit earlier in this podcast. I just finished this book. It's, uh, it's called AI Superpowers by Kai Fu Lee. And it does an incredible job of painting the picture of how China's internet has developed differently than um, the West's internet. And as a result of that, it then talks about where AI could go with different each country. And so even if all you read was the first third of the book, just to understand 
how different it is to operate and, and build a business in China. It's fantastic for that. And then the rest is, is really helpful as well. So that's a business book. And then, you know, being a fiction writer, I'd be remiss to not at least mention another fiction book that uh, is sure. fun to read as well. You know, I really have gotten into the James S.A. Corey series, The Expanse. The next book in the series has come out. It's kind of for anyone going through Game of Thrones withdrawal. Um, <laughs> this is a, this is this book is actually written by George R. R. Martin has had a couple of junior writers help him hmm. in the in the early books, and one of them is one of the two co-writers of this book. So if you go go to the bookstore or go look at it online, the first uh, testimonial on the book is from George R. R. Martin <laughs> because you know he Very knows cool. this person. So it's it's different than Game of Thrones. It's not like the uh, you know it's not medieval. It's a space opera. But you know, it's multiple books, multiple series, and I've had a lot of fun reading it. Fantastic recommendations, Tony. Again, folks, just go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar, type in Tony Estrella, E-S-T-R-E-L-L-A, and you'll be able to find our entire discussion, the transcript, the show notes, as well as links to his book, Comatose, and also all the other resources we've discussed. Tony, this has been really, really a really great conversation. Um, I'd love if you could just leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with you. Yeah. So in terms of the, the closing thought, given all the things we've talked about, I, I think I'll bring it back to sleep. I think a fun topic about sleep is that in researching it and looking at it for my book, and it also applies to dreams and comas, our knowledge of, of, that, of those spaces is about the same as what we knew about space travel in the early 1950s, keeping in mind that the first person to walk in space was in 57 and we landed on the moon in 69. We know the basics, but we have a lot of unanswered questions. And I'm excited to play an active role in where sleep science goes as part of how I can link my, my two lives together. And, and I'd welcome for, to hear people's opinions um, to, around their own sleep stories, sleep habits, sleep hygiene, lucid dream stories. So I, I'm keen to, to you know, have people get in touch with me. So my website is TonyEstrella.com, and you can find stuff around my book there. And you can also uh, just message me from that. And there's also always Twitter at EstrellaVino. Outstanding. And it, is it V-I-N-O? That's right. Outstanding. Folks, yeah. there you have it. A ways to connect with Tony to continue the conversation. Get your sleep. Keep on dreaming and uh, improving healthcare. So, Tony, just want to say a big thanks for joining us today. Really, really have enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, same here. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 